0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's a real treat to be with you today. My name's Simon Gilbo, and uh, I've never been here before, uh, but a few of you are familiar faces. Um, before I, we look at that passage, because I'm an outsider coming in, I wanted to share a few pictures, which would just give a bit of context to, to what I share. So my, I've got it on here, actually, uh, Great Lakes Outreach, that's a charity we set up out in Central Africa. It's, I don't know if you've heard of Burundi, to the south of Rwanda. A few people have. It's about the least known country in the world. It's the hungriest country in the world. It's the poorest country in the world. Uh, And it's where I've lived for 20 years of my life. I came to you from Bath yesterday. Um, That's it, a bit closer. Right Right in the heart of Africa, even shaped like a heart. Size of Wales, not a big place. Lots of very big challenging issues. If you can see there, Bujumbura is the capital. That's where I lived Started out as a single man, lived expecting to die. People I care about were killed. People tried to kill me. Uh, Genuinely thought I'd die before the age of thirty, and and didn't. So Burundi was my home. Uh, Amen. Amen. Anyone get that? Good. Um, And uh, I became Burundian. So literally, I'm dual nationality. Very passionate about that nation, and that's what the whole area is known for, really. So. Very, very uh, grim. Lots of bloodshed, lots of challenge. I um, told you I went out as a single person. That's my family. So eventually got married when I proposed to my wife. I said, Are you ready to be a young widow? Um, so that's a sort different kind of proposal to maybe you, you made, if you're a gent. Um, and, now, and I never get tired of telling the story of why I called my daughter what I called her. And I'm going to sort of pretty much start and close with a story about hands this morning. And this is about hands, in that my daughter is named after this girl. And that photo is 1997. Don't know what you're doing in 1997. But in 1997, I I held that girl and heard her story. And her story was that her mother gave birth to her and left her down a toilet and, and did a runner. And the next person, who was going to the toilet at the university hospital, saw this piece of flesh down in the filth, and she was still alive. And the lady reached out and picked her her out of the toilet, cleaned her off. Her neck had got caught in the U-bend. That's why she was still alive. And got got poo on herself in the process, this lady, as she cleaned her off. And and she weighed just a couple of pounds and fed her through a straw like a little bird. And she survived. And 18 years later, that's her. Isn't she beautiful? And she ends up being our, our, our our babysitter. And so I held her as a baby and then... All those years later, she's our babysitter. Now, when I married my wife, I said, if we are ever blessed with a daughter, I want to name our daughter after that girl. So the little white one is named after big black one. And the reason is, is that my friend who adopted her gave her my favorite girl's name. And the name is Grace. And I love that story. And I love that, that name. Why? Because the start of baby, big Grace now, <coughs> the start of her life is a picture of Christmas, of what Jesus did. God came down. Hands reached down to pick that rejected fetus out of the toilet. And and that little piece of flesh couldn't get out by herself. And that's the Christmas message, isn't it? Jesus, God with flesh on, comes down. And he picks us up. And fast forward to Easter, and on the cross, he takes our... On him, so we can be clean and beautiful and acceptable, and he can look at each one of us this morning and say, "Ah, that's my girl. That's my boy. You're beautiful." Some of you may not feel very beautiful. We're a bit more wrinkly and saggy now, aren't we, than when we first came out? But but you know, we, in God's sight, all of us so precious to Him, and that is amazing grace. And 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 I want my daughter to know that she's a gift and that actually everything in life is a gift. That's the biggest gift Bruni's given me, is a recognition that everything in life is a gift. And Grace, we we help her get a scholarship to um, America. She gets a distinction in her degree, comes back, works for me in social media for a bit, um, and, and telling stories out there. And the latest part of her chapter now is that she is... Uh, just been doing her master's in Newcastle in counselling. And I love that, from the pit of a toilet living her dream. Isn't that incredible? There's always hope. That is what amazing grace is. Now, I've just got a couple of books here if you wanted either Christmas presents or, or if the message gets you um, today in terms of how I share. And it is going to be uh, challenging and encouraging. So that's called More Than Conquerors, which is a call to passionate all-in discipleship and i don't want anyone to feel excluded i don't want anyone to feel past their sell by date or anything and i say that because i come from a culture where we value and venerate age yeah. in burundi whereas in this culture old people are on the scrap people you know it's like it's and i want to say even if i might you know speak lightly about it i i am i'm passionate that all of you live full-on lives. You've got so much to bring to the body in terms of years of accrued wisdom and experience to pass on to the next generation, in terms of having, having uh, got to know God in the secret place in terms of prayer and experience. And, and so all of us, I want us to feel uh, validated in our, in our role in Christ. Amen? That's really important to hear. Um, and then this one. So the title of today's talk is Choose Life, and we're going to be looking at that. That's a daily devotional, if you wanted to grab that at the back afterwards. Um, <laughs> we are the hungriest country in the world, and and most of us haven't experienced that, so it's hard to understand it. This story, I just think, this picture really helps encapsulate it, because look at that little cute uh, blonde-haired four-year-old girl there. She's four. Her name's Alma. She's my Canadian friend's daughter. She's four. The girl in the middle, she's four. Or probably she was four. She's probably dead now. And I... I agree with those noises of, oh, you know, that makes, that elicits two feelings in me. One is anger because that is wrong. That's just wrong. And it's not wrong for us to feel anger. If Andy annoys me and I punch him in the face, that is a negative. That's not a great outworking of anger. So anger can be sinful in its manifestation, but the Bible doesn't say don't be angry, does it? It says be angry and don't sin or in your anger, don't sin. And I want to sort of just probe it or, or get you to question yourself in general um, because we, it, it was Ed, Edmund Burke, wasn't it? He said, all that it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. And I'm not saying you're good people doing nothing, but we are called as the body of Christ to act and to be God's redemptive agents for transformation. That makes me angry. There's a lot of injustice and corruption in Burundi that makes me angry and I want to be part of the solution. And we're called to be part the solution. You in Barnet or Potters Bar or wherever you've come from today, all of us, we can be involved in that. So anger is one emotion. The other one is compassion, compati, to suffer with, to come alongside it. And it makes me weep. And I've shed a lot of tears for my nation of Burundi. And may God give us the gift of tears for the brokenness in our own context. And what does it look like to be involved? And all of us have got a role to play. We've done loads of incredible outreach uh, over the years. Um, and you know, some of these stories are absolutely wild. Uh, over the last 18 years, uh, each summer for two weeks, we've sent out an average of 700 uh, evangelists into the bush. So do that. 18 years times 14 days times 700 people times eight hours a day. That's a lot of serious intentional outreach. We reckon we've seen over 200,000 people come to Jesus and whatever you read in the Bible, well, Acts of the Apostles, what Jesus did, I can pretty much give you a, a modern day equivalent of, of, of God's miracles in Burundi. And so, this is a, a power encounter where our guys showed up in a village and the witch doctor started doing his witchcrafty stuff, demonic stuff. And then one of our team said, "Mizina ya Yesu in Jesus' name. And boom, he, the witch doctor just fell down under the power of God. And he came to you a few moments later and said, Could you come back in, in two days? That's two days later. And uh, no one messes with the witch doctor. If you do, he'll curse you, and your two-year-old will die or whatever. So people are scared. He's a senior spiritual authority. But then in the name of Jesus, because he then submits there and burns his chance publicly submitting to the highest power and at the preaching of the gospel, 50 people, he and 50 people in that village gave their lives to Christ. I love those stories. It's a bit different from Barnet Christianity, isn't it? But no, it's the same Jesus. It is the same Jesus. This is, you know, blind Bartimaeus. Remember that story? Bartimaeus, blind beggar on the street, shouts out. Doesn't care what people think. Jesus. Well, this was Louis. He was blind. He was a beggar. He was a widower, so he's on the scrap heap of life. His his kids had actually abandoned him. Scrap heap of life, and he he came on our outreach and he he cried out and he came forward blind. Everyone knew he was blind. That's what I love about stories. Last month I was out there. I didn't actually see him last month, but I went past his village. And so you can't deny a story. You could come out. I'm going back out in February. You could come and meet Louis, if, you, if you're still skeptical about this story. But he came on our outreach, and he was prayed for. And we he was healed, completely healed. And, uh, you know, lots of people come into faith on the back of seeing him healed, which I think you would again, seeing that power. And then <coughs> last Christmas, excuse me, we gave him, we gave him some pigs to start a little pig business to help lift him out of poverty. He's found some wrinkly old babe to get married to, and he is a happy chap. You see, the gospel changes everything. And that's lovely Louis. I love it how the gospel, the meeting Jesus, changes everything. This is, this is Francine. And you remember that, that incredibly brave lady in the Bible who was bleeding? And uh, she had the courage to reach through the crowd. Desperation as well. And she reached through the crowd and touched Jesus hem of his garment and power went out. She was healed. That was Francine. Her husband had left her because of the bleeding and she couldn't have sex with her. So he'd gone to take another woman and she came on outreach, desperate. And she reached out and she was healed. She knew she was healed. don't know how that works, but she rushed home and she sought out her husband said, you're coming back with me, baby. And uh, they're back together. He's, He's seen the miracle. He's come to faith. The gospel changes everything. This is Innocent, one of our great young leaders out there. Look at him, so skinny. And he's so skinny because he's so hungry for God. And God has trusted him with the gift of healing because he spends so much time in the secret place praying and fasting. And I mean, loads of stories, but maybe this is the last miracle story before we look at the passage. Um, (coughs) But but, um, these two mute ladies came to him and said, God didn't say this. Can you, can, you, can you pray for us? And so this was after church on the Sunday. He took them around the back to the side room. He said, he said almost angry at the injustice of it, he said, he said, Lord, I am willing to pray for three days, not leave this room, if you will only have mercy on these precious ladies. And he didn't have to wait for three days. After 10 minutes, they started speaking. And he took them back around the church, and the church choir were having a practice and he interrupted the choir, the choir practice and said, Excuse me, I've got you two new choir members. And they, they said, that's a, that's a sick joke, because they knew the mute ladies. And he said to the ladies, Look, they're saying it's a sick joke. Anything you want to say? Yeah. Look, they sang, and these guys fell to their knees, some of them weeping. Incredible. I don't know. Ha, ha. Yeah. Some of you are struggling to believe it. No, good. I'm glad you're not. I think some of us, we, we do, because we're from a secular, materialistic mind, mindset, worldview that just doesn't allow for that. That's the, that's, that's the weakness of our, of our worldview. And I want you to know that is real. You read out the Bible, it is real. I think it happens more out there because they're more hungry, they're more desperate, they're more prayerful. When they're sick, they haven't got a, you know, a helpline to ring, there aren't any doctors around, and they've got faith. They've got real faith, and there's a correlation of scriptures, isn't there, between faith and, and, and also, conversely, between unbelief and not seeing the power of God. May God fill us afresh this Christmas time with more faith to believe that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you want good news stories, uh, quick, quick, if you, any of you listen to podcasts, maybe it's a different generation, but if some of, you, some of you might listen to podcasts, just what I want to say is that stop watching bad news, so the news. Watch the news five minutes a day to know what to pray for. But otherwise, let's get off the news because you are just being bombarded with fear and anxiety, and depressive narratives. When you watch the news, you are letting someone curate all, your, all the disasters in the world to tell you what's going on, to feed yourself negativity. And that's not good for us. That's why we're such a depressed, moaning, complaining nation, cynical nation. So watch it for a bit so you know what to pray for, and then feed yourself the Word of God. Feed yourself good narratives. And that's, what, that's why this podcast is so successful and fruitful now, because it's just telling stories of what God's doing in this nation to the nations. Right, Let's let's move on now. <clears throat> wherever I go, I say um, I don't want your money. So I'm not. I haven't come this morning. I mean, Andy invited me to come speak L- explicitly. I haven't come for your money, and I haven't come on a recruiting drive for Burundi. Maybe whew, that's a relief. Um, but what I would love you to do is to pray. You could easily pray for us, and you get you also you get you get to hear these incredible stories of faith. So if you want to sign up. Uh, for, our, for our new stuff, um, I've, got, I've got four of these. So let me just give those out right now. Don't sign up if you, if, you, if you don't want to hear. But if you want to hear regular stories on email, then just put your email down there. Just pause. If you're already on it, don't sign up again. Uh, there you go. <coughs> and so you are, there is, Andy, there are four. So maybe, Sue, so after all, if you start there and then... Brilliant. Okay, so... Sign up if you want to, don't worry if you don't. That's all preamble. Now we're going to look at the passage. So it's Deuteronomy chapter 30. I've given you the title. What's the title? Choose life. Choose life. Choose life. And we're going to look at a number of choices that we're going to make, hopefully make, good positive choices this Christmas and into the new year. How, foundational choices about how we're going to live. This passage, Moses is addressing the people of God. In a sense, I'm Moses right now. You are the people of God. And the context is, is that uh, you know those guys, the Israelites, they were so quick, weren't they, to distrust, to fear, complaining when things weren't going exactly how they wanted things to go. And, and may we learn from them, because the consequences were huge, weren't they, of those who listened to what Moses had to say, only two entered the promised land over the age of 20, being Caleb and Joshua because of disobedience and not... Paying, paying uh, attention to God's word. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come out with a whole bunch of choices. And these are choices that we need to make. And I wonder which one's for you. All of them, in a sense, are for all of us. They're going backwards, those ones. Uh, all of these choices apply to all of us. But which one really does God want you to hear about? Okay, that's, that's the question I want, I want you to, to wrestle with. The first choice is, are we going to choose to live Are we going to choose clarity or trust? Clarity or trust? You see, my observation is that many of us, we have a faith, but we don't necessarily live by faith. Do you see what I mean? It's easy to have a faith, but not to live by faith. Because we like being in control of our lives. We like having all our ducks in a row. And so we don't actually need our faith to get by because we're in control. And there's a difference between having a faith and living by faith, and we are called to live by faith, not by sight. So this is very challenging for those of us, most of us, that like to be in control. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. That's what verse 11 says. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you, but that would imply it's quite difficult. And it's not beyond your reach, but that would imply it's quite a stretch. What I'm challenging you to this morning is to not have all your ducks in a row, to not insist on being in control, but to say, no, I'm going to step out with God, whatever that looks like, and trust him. In Mother Teresa's House of the Dying in Calcutta, she received loads of volunteers. One guy came. He was he's a brilliant ethicist called Jonathan Kavanagh. And he came along, maybe it's a sort of sabbatical type break, uh, and he, he was wanting clarity for the next part of his uh, life adventure, if you like. And on the first day, he was very excited because Mother Teresa came and sat next to him in the front rows. A newbie volunteer, she said, is there anything I can pray for? And he's like, yes, this is why I've come 6,000 miles for the great Mother Teresa to pray and and speak into my life. And he, he said, can you pray that God gives me clarity for the next chapter of my life? And her indignant response shocked him. She said, no, I will not pray for clarity for you clarity is the last thing you are holding on to and you need to let go of. And he was like, what? You, the great mother Teresa, looks like you've got loads of clarity in your life. She said, I have never had clarity in my life. What I have had is trust. And I'll pray for you that you trust him. That's very simple, very profound so clarity or trust next one obedience or disobedience and verse 14 to 16 if i summarize them basically if you obey things will go a whole lot better than if you disobey and if you disobey it says you will not live long in the land you are entering to possess and so will we obey and i think god's often speaking to us and we and we we harden our heart or we or we choose not to listen uh, there's a great quote by the american theologian uh, A.W. Tozer, he said this, every time you hear God's word, God's truth, you'll either go in the direction you're called to go or you'll just wait. And if you wait, you'll find that the next time you hear that word, that truth, it will not move you quite as much. The next time it will move you less and the time will come when that truth will not move you at all. And I don't know if you can relate to that. Sometimes I feel like God's spoken to me and I've, I've said, um, I don't want to hear that. That's not on my agenda. That's not what I want to do. And eventually we just stop listening and we harden our heart we don't hear. And God is calling us this morning to obedience. Obedience in terms of relationships, in terms of use of time, in terms of finances, in terms of maybe taking initiative with people down our street, inviting them along to stuff over the Christmas season. Some relationships we have are just plain unhealthy. Some of our viewing habits are unhealthy. And he's saying, obey me. I want a pure bride with a pure heart. What does it look like for you to obey? And as you move with God, he will guide your steps and he will guide your stops. And you'll learn more from five minutes of obedience from 10 years of study. And Jesus in John chapter 14, there's a very clear a correlation in scriptures between love and obedience. Three times in John chapter 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. <coughs> Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he or she is the one who loves me. Jesus is our model, 1 John 3, 1 John 5, 3. He learned obedience. This is love, to, to obey my commands. He learned obedience, Philippians 2, to death, even death on the cross is our model. So, so will we obey? What does obedience look like for us this morning? That's the next one. Next one, cynicism or action. Cynicism or action. Again, I'm, I'm relating to the Israelites. They were a cynical bunch. They were a disobedient bunch. They wanted clarity over trust. And and we're the same. So cynicism or action. Listen, I said cynicism or action, not cynicism or optimism, which you might think. But the antidote to cynicism isn't optimism. It's action. Action that's born out of hope. And I'm preaching this to myself in Burundi because I think you can imagine the sucker punches I've had over 25 years of involvement there. There are so many challenges to still cling to hope. And yet the whole point of Christmas is that it was a very hopeless time, But love broke in. God came down. He reached down. And there's always hope, even for grace down the toilet. And uh, there's all sorts of ways of, of dividing or categorizing people. But one way is to say that there are cynics and there are saints and everyone else is in some deluded middle ground. And the only difference between the cynics and the saints is the presence, the power, the possibility of hope. You see, if you're a cynic, it's so easy to just withdraw, batten down the hatches, look after yourself. And if you've got middle, middle, sort of middle class economic security, as many cynics do, things out there don't need to change for you to be okay. But that's not how we're meant to live. Whereas the saints, they acknowledge what's going on. But we've got a higher perspective. We've got a bigger picture. And we embrace the presence, the power, the possibility of hope. Hope not as an emotion, but rooted in the Christmas message. That there is always hope. So I'm not going to say hands up here, the cynics in the house. But for some of us, you need to hear that. And there tends to be a direct correlation between the length of years one has been on this planet and the depth of one's cynicism. Because you've seen so much to reinforce your cynical prejudice. And yet we've got to say, no, we resist that. I'm resisting that daily in Burundi even now, 25 years on. And Some of God's best troops are there and the the message hasn't changed. So please hear that if that's for you. Next one, urgency or apathy. Again, we Israelites, we we had... Sporadic bursts of urgency, didn't we, when Pharaoh's crack charioteers were chasing us in the desert? We legged it then. But actually, very quickly, when things went back to normal, our default was mm, sort of languid, languid apathy, wasn't it? And if you can all look at me right now, if we had a scale of passionate urgency this end in our pursuit of Christ and sort of <coughs> total mm, you know, apathy this end, I'm not saying we're all here at all. Hear me, I'm not saying that. The point of this message... It's to push you along that continuum to urgency. Yeah. You see, I've lived expecting to die, totally. I had a guy come to my house with a grenade to blow me up. He'd written me a letter saying he was going to cut out my eyes. I, can't kid mys- I couldn't kid myself that I was living in a peaceful place. The problem with Barnet is it's a nice place, isn't it? And I know you've got your issues, but it's a pretty nice place. You, aren't, you haven't got bombs falling on Barnet High Street, have you? And so you could kid yourself that... It's all peaceful and fine. And you could live with a peacetime mentality. I couldn't live with a peacetime mentality in Burundi because I knew it was war. I've only been in Barnet since yesterday, five o'clock in the evening. I can see loads of bombs falling on (coughs) Barnet. Apathy. (coughs) Comfort. (coughs) Distraction. (coughs) Materialism. And if you're suckers for that, you will get taken out. And you can live on that end of the continuum. I had a brother, that, that podcast. Um, this week, um, a guy came and from the podcast, and he'd spent five years in prison, an incredible dramatic conversion story. When he showed up my house on Tuesday night, he had just received news that he had six months, at best, left to live. So he's done 14 months of chemotherapy. He's, I think he's 62 years old. He's got an incredible story, met God in prison after you know, torturing and extorting money, and also a crazy story. But he came Tuesday night. He arrived at my house. He knew they had six months left, and the next day he preached at morning chapel at my kids' school. The evening he did a thing. In between, he went to bed. He is ravaged, and he is so passionate to maximize every day. And I love it that my sister, my daughter, brought my daughter Grace, brought her friend along to the CU, and she gave her life to Jesus. He is like he is not going to waste his time. And I want to challenge us here this morning. Let me, let me give you a challenge for my granny. This is appropriate because some of you are her age. But um, my, my granny, when she was 83 years old, anyone 83 and above here? Brilliant. Keep going, you shillitoes. That's great. <coughs> so Granny Gilbo, 83 years old. Now, she'd been in the country to the north of me with Grandpa in Rwanda for 50 years. And when, and when, gran, when, when Grandpa died, he was buried in Reading, Granny, aged 83 said, I'm going back out to Rwanda. Love that. She said, in England, you're just going to stick me in an old age home. Whereas in Rwanda, I'm an umukechiru. I'm a wise old dame. I love that. So Granny, as a widow, went out to, to post-genocidal. Um, this is 1997 that she went back out. So the genocide in 1994. So <coughs> age 83, she goes back out. as a, as a broken. She's 83. She's a... Wrinkly old battle axe, but she's still you know, Cambridge-educated and sharp as a tack, and, uh, and so she started a widows' meeting. There were 15,000 widows in her diocese from the genocide, right? So she had loads of work to do. She started a widows' meeting. First week, 30 came in the cathedral, probably twice the size of this place. Then 80 came, then 100, then 200, then 300, then 400. Then they had to split them into two groups. There wasn't room enough in the cathedral. Then they started taking the widows' daughters and teaching them a trade because without a father there, they were... They were routinely taken for sex. So, Granny, she was part of this incredible, empowering movement. Now, fast forward three years, September the 10th, uh, 2001. And this is her last day in action on planet Earth. So, she's 86 years old, Granny Gilbo. And she steps forward to preach. And she lets a rip on them. She lets a rip for an hour. She preaches for an hour, 86. You know, it's quite tiring to preach, even when you're not feeling rough. (laughs) And she preached for an hour. And packed cathedral. And then at the end, there's a last photo of her taken alive during the traditional in dance. dances in a book. She's like that. And then she said goodbye. Now, in French, what are the words for goodbye? You've got two of them. What are they? Au revoir and adieu. And au revoir means literally to the re-seeing. And adieu means literally till God. And hers was an adieu. There's no reason for it. It's almost like God had whispered in her ear, time's up, baby, you're coming home. (coughs) And she said adieu. And she waddled home after her last preach. And she she waddled home, she had a game of Scrabble, and then she had a stroke and went to be with Jesus. What a great way to go. 86 years old, most of you are under that. There's still work for you to do. Feel commissioned. He wants to use you. And what I love about Granny, I mean, on so many levels, is that, you know, I was preaching in Chicago a few years ago, and it was, it was a pretty much an all-white crowd. Winnetka Covenant Church in the suburbs of Chicago. And there was one black guy, and he came up to me after the service, and he said, Gilbo, that's my last name, Gilbo, Gilbo, your grandparents changed my life. And I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. What an encouragement. 6,000 miles across the seas. In a different continent nation, that you're just saying, Simon, keep going, this is worth everything. And you know what, Granny, when, you know, this is a bit flippant maybe, but when your grandparents die as a grandchild, the upside of the downside is that they might have left you some money. Well, Granny, all Granny left us, 18 grandchildren, were the most tasteless hand knitted jumpers. Mine was a giraffe. Never wore it. But you know what? She, she had she'd given it all. She had just sewed it all. She had no money left to give. She stored up for herself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break and steal. I'm not going to share this story at the second service. That is a story of granny for you guys, because I think it's where a lot of you are at. C.S. Lewis says, anything which isn't eternal is eternally out of date. It's not going to last. People are spending so much time investing in, in stuff that just, it's not going to go with you. And some of us, we're nearer the end of our race than others of us. And he's like, live today, make it count. Maximize your life. Have that sense of urgency. Today's the day. Now is the time of God's favor. He wants to use you. That's the message for some of you. Next, last few choices. Faith or fear. Again, the Israelites were such a fearful bunch. I've had very legitimate reasons to be afraid. Driving along a road, 40 people get killed, I get through. That guy coming to my house with a grenade. And you know what? Our birthright as followers of Jesus is to live free from fear. There's loads of scriptures on not being afraid. Even when around us, circumstances are awful. My great aunt, so grandpa's sister, she, she wrote to me once, and she was a real, she translated the Bible. Into, uh, uh, into the African, an African language. And she wrote to me, she said, it's pithy, a three liner Look around and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. But look to Jesus and be at rest. Look around and be distressed. I mean, it's just pretty distressing what's going on in the world. Look within your own heart and be depressed. It's pretty depressing, the fickleness of my own heart. But look to Jesus. And be at rest. And Jesus wants you to experience his Christmas peace. And he wants you to not be shackled by fear. My observation of us as a nation. All the more. Post COVID. And the reason is that. And this is not me saying COVID wasn't serious. But we were bombarded every day. By statistics during COVID. To induce fear. So that it would make us behave in a certain way. And so we just got fear. Fear, fear, fear. And our whole brains are wired to live from a fear paradigm. And In Jesus' name, we can be free from that. We are called to live by faith, not by fear. Driving along the most dangerous road in the world, my colleague looks across with a glint in his eye and says, "Simon, isn't it exciting? We are immortal until God calls us home. Isn't that right? No one can touch us. If you are living in fear this morning, let's pray together that you can be free. Just bring it to God. Change fears to concerns. Concerns are legitimate." But God's got big hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you in his hands. And he loves you. And he wants you to live free. All right, last couple. Oh, dear. I don't know. Um, all right, last. Literally, let me close. I, I said I'd close. I, I want to do relationship or rules, which is a really important one. And that's four, verses 16, 14, 16. Relationship or rules. It's crucial that we see that God is a God of relationship. It's not about box ticking. It's not about rules. He just loves us. And maybe you could hear the fuller sermon uh, if you want to go online because some juicy stories I'm missing out there. And then the last choice, because of time, is just verse, verse 15 and verse 19. It's about life or death, blessings and curses. Choose life, the glory of God as a man or woman fully alive wrinkly old 86-year-old Elizabeth Gilbo, still fully alive, giving it everything. I, want to, I can see the potential in all of us doing that, no matter what stage of life we're at, still fully alive, not trying to just arrive safely at death. And I would say that to a much younger crowd. I think most people in England, the way they're living, literally their highest aspiration seems to be to arrive safely at death. And that's a lame way to live when he says, I've come to have life and life to the full. Not necessarily a long life, but fullness of life. Last story. I started with hands. Grace picked out the toilet. I'm closing with hands. And this was in a village, again, out in Africa. And <clears throat> there was a fire in this house. And... Um, so during the night, the villagers all streamed out their houses and they, they tried to rescue the, the people, the family burning to death in the house. And they, amidst the shrieks, so anyway, they, they, they couldn't get out of this precious family. And so they all died, apart from, at the last minute, somebody managed to reach through window and pluck out the, the baby boy of the household. And the next day, um, around the smoldering remains of that house, the whole village came. And a heated sort of um, debate ensued about who would have the right to adopt the baby boy. Reason being was that according to their worldview, there's serious Baraka, blessing to be had in this boy because the ancestral spirits had protected him. So their thinking went, so there must be blessing to be had. And so the witch doctor says, let me adopt this baby boy because I can nurture his psychic giftings. But the chief said, well, no, I'm the chief, so I'm gonna take him. The, The richest man said, well, hang on, I've got the most money. I can give him the best education. The neighbor said, well, no, his father had an unpaid debt towards me, so I'll take the baby boy in lieu of that payment. But then there's nobody on the social hierarchy of the village, right at the bottom, this loser, there's nobody, stepped forward, but quite authoritatively said, no, the baby boy is mine. And they all looked at him, knowing who he was incredulous. They're like, what? Who are you to lay claim to this boy? And he didn't have to say much. He just, he opened his hands and his hands were blistered and burnt and charred. And he said, the boy is mine because I saved him. And Jesus' hands are not blistered, burnt, chard. What are they? Nailed and pierced. And he says to you this morning, you are mine. I saved you. I love you. I came down, picked you out of the filth, cleaned you off. You are so valuable. And I chose, look back at verse 19, I chose death so that you could choose life. I became a curse so that you could be blessed. And so, brother and sisters, this morning, you might never see me again. Who cares on that level? But can you make some good choices? Are you going to choose clarity or trust? Are you going to choose obedience or disobedience? Are you going to choose cynicism or action? Are you going to choose faith or fear? Are you going to choose urgency or apathy? Are you going to choose rules or relationship? Are you going to choose life or death? Choose life. And I'm sorry we've run out of time, but do you want to just stand? And... All those choices are for all of us. Let's hear that. But which choices does God really want you to work on? That's the question. And then what are you going to do about it? So let me pray over us. Why want not we shut our eyes. And if you want to open your hands to receive this blessing, it's just a body language. It's just a statement of the openness of our hearts. So welcome to do that. Father God, I bless these, my brothers and sisters. Thank you so much for all of us here, Lord. I pray that you would free us from the shackles of fear to live by faith. Lord, I pray that we'd be a people, a people corporately, but also individually, that would choose trust and not insist on clarity. Lord, may we be a people who walk in obedience, not disobedience. Oh, Father, forgive us for our cynicism, and may we choose hope. Oh, move us away from apathy into urgency this Christmas. Thank you that it's not about rules. It's about relationship. Amazing grace. Thank you for your hands. You say you are mine because I saved you. And so we choose life. And all God's people said, amen.